Welcome to R&R Showtime with Robert and Ryan. And today is a very special episode, at least for me, I think. Today, Ryan and I are going to be talking about Lord of the Rings, specifically the first movie, Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah, I just uh, I watched it all the way through for the first time. Uh, Well, it's a couple weeks ago now, but. I had planned to record this a little sooner, but it is what it is. I've seen the Fellowship of the Ring now. Yes, after not having seen it for however many years this guy's been alive. I mean, technically, I saw like almost half of it as a kid, but I didn't really know what was going on. Yeah. And I actually have commentary about having watched it as a kid. Yeah. So basically, might as well have not watched it when you it's like when you watch something as a kid and even if you watched it and you're like eight. You know, you go back and you're just like, well, I might as well just not watch that movie as much as I watched it. Like, I think I watched The Shining as a kid, but I might as well not watched it as far as as far as I'm concerned. Like, I'd never seen that movie. Yeah. Like, unless it's one of those movies that you watched like religiously as a kid, like if you watched it one time, like I like I watched Shrek all the time as a kid. I remember Shrek. I watched Hocus Pocus all the time as a kid, but I kept watching that, I guess. Not as. uh equal thing but yeah if it's something you just saw once you effectively didn't watch it yeah so but me i've seen the movie a dozen times quoted all the time love the movies basically my some of my favorite movies and yeah uh so now this is almost like a special moment where i can talk with about these movies with my brother after many years of literally trying to persuade him to watch it he finally did it so Yeah, and I think watching The Fellowship of the Ring really crystallized a subconscious reason that I did not want to watch these movies, but I want to sort of get into that later uh, as we talk about the plot of the movie, because there's a specific scene in the movie where I watched it and I thought, oh, this is why I didn't want to watch this movie. Like subconsciously. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. Well, we'll we're gonna uh, basically go in our more or less you know normal format that we've you know followed for a while here, uh, but we might you know sort of shift it up a little bit as we go. But it's just our best way to guide this. So uh, we're gonna start with Ryan. What was your first impression of the Fellowship of the Ring? I'm finally watching the. Oh well, my first impression when I was a kid, <laughs> I was like, "This is boring. I want to watch Jimmy Neutron." Watching it as an adult, um, it's really good. It I watched the extended editions, and I'll admit they're long, but like I was, I was interested. I enjoyed it. I, I watching these movies made me realize how little I knew of the plot of these movies. Like when I watched Star Wars, like I knew the basic plots of the movie. And even more than that, I knew like casual details about scenes in the movie with Lord of the Rings. Like I knew the overarching idea of the three movies, but there's a lot of stuff that I just did not know or, and did not remember from watching it as a kid. Like uh, a good example is I forgot that the person that they meet at that inn was Aragorn. For some reason, I thought that they met Boromir and Aragorn and not just Aragorn. And I didn't remember him not being named Aragorn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is just basic level stuff to not know. 
basic. How do you not know this? Wow, loser. <laughs> and like, uh, I feel like I was still watching. No. Okay, so I did not get very far into this movie when I watched it as a kid. So that's another reason why I don't have a lot of knowledge of what happens, particularly in the Fellowship. Yeah, well, pretty great. Yeah. Right. So what? Yeah, it's 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 a good movie. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess we'll just get right into it, and we'll essentially I'm going to review the uh, the plot. As I mean, I would hope most people, have, you know, honestly, I can't even expect that. It's not like this is a pretty big movie. It's been around for a long time. A lot of people have seen it, but uh, it's I've, it's not I've, actually necessarily that mo- that well watched of a movie or anything. It's a bit of a commitment is what it is. I like if, if you don't do the extended edition, you can get away with it in just under three hours. So which is not much more than I mean, going to watch an endgame or. Uh, you know, uh, oh, there's, I mean, we just watched uh, Army of the Dead that just came out. It was two hours and 40 minutes. And that movie definitely needed 40 minutes cut out of it. I haven't seen it yet. So could be another podcast. Could be another podcast. Yeah. But yeah. So, uh, so you're going to probably have to go in broad strokes to get through this plot. Like, yeah. But if there's any parts of the movie that you, that stand out to you as favorite parts of the movie, you bring that up. But as you're telling this, I'm just going to share my thoughts if I have them. Yeah. Okay. So movie starts with really a uh, sort of a historical, uh, you know, monologue uh, that gives us a little bit of background on, you know, the events of something about to do with the ring, basically. And, you know, a, a big great war a long time ago and how eventually this ring passed into mystery and, you know, legend. And we start with you know we start with uh, a hobbit who meets a you know a traveling wizard frodo and gandalf they come together and they make their way uh to see bilbo baggins gandalf is coming into hobbiton the town of hobbits to see his old friend bilbo whose uh birthday it is his 111th birthday and they meet and you know are merry and bilbo sort of tells gandalf that he has a plan that he's planning. He's, he's going to leave soon um, that he's grown a little bit tired of being in the Shire and he wants to travel again and see things and references uh, old adventures that, you know, they had before. And so that evening they have a huge celebration for Bilbo's birthday and, you know, lots of shenanigans and interesting things <laughs> happen, but we really get to the, you know, major part of the birthday where Bilbo comes to make a speech and as Bilbo makes a speech, he sort of he says something kind of funny and everybody's a little confused. And uh, he ends up doing something pretty fantastic and amazing is that he disappears in the middle of his speech using this ring. He has <laughs> yes, using a ring that he possesses. Um, he head back to he, you know, secrets himself away to his house uh, where Gandalf finds him and. Bilbo, after a brief interaction, Bilbo leaves the ring to and all of uh, his his home, which is one of the nicest and most expensive large homes in the Hobbits. town of Hobbits. Uh, Bag end. He leaves everything to Frodo and he goes off on his journey. Uh, this interaction was, you know, strange and kind of sinister and dark and actually, you know, makes uh, Gandalf a little bit curious about 
what happened. Um, so when Frodo arrives, he tells him, you know, keep everything's yours, you know, take this. And he hands him the ring in an envelope and tells him, keep this secret and keep it safe. Yeah. Keep and it secret, keep it safe. Yeah. And Gandalf goes away for what nobody knows in the, in the movie. They do not really give you a good indication of how long it is, but it's, uh, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong. I always actually get this a little bit confused. It's like 11 or 13 years. Yeah, you don't know that when you watch the movie, right? It's it's I like do, many years. I in the movie, I don't think that that's how long it is. Yeah, it, in the movie, uh, what whether they're, I mean, I don't know if they're reinterpreting it like it's a lesser amount of time, but it is a very long amount of time. Yeah, like many years. Takes time for wizards to be doing stuff, though. Yeah, well, I mean, what you know, what people don't sometimes understand is that Gandalf Lily had to travel relatively far away, and then he had to go through just paper records. Yeah, for like, I mean, it's not like this stuff was like organized, you know, with the the Dewey Decimal System or anything. He's literally just looking for, you know, mention um, of of something, you know, obscure and strange. So, uh, but yeah. So, what do you what do you think about this sort of first, you know, this first little, you know, introduction? I mean, this is the part of the movie that I'm probably the was the most familiar with. I just I sort of knew who the who Gandalf was, who Frodo was at this point, who Bilbo is. So it wasn't a lot of new experience for me watching this part of the movie. But I did I I did not remember how the ring, why Bilbo left, why he left the ring. I did not know that Gandalf didn't already know what the ring was when he saw it. It Honestly, just this sort of idea that this ring was lost at time, essentially, and then Bilbo basically just sort of kept it for a while uh, was not something that I was necessarily aware of. So in the book, he spends 11 to 13 years researching the ring. But in the movie, I feel like the impetus to move the ring is triggered by so the ring race are made aware of the ring's presence because of Gollum. So so we're we're just gonna treat it as the movie. So again, the the movie is different. They do a a few different things for the purposes of shortening or just relieving things out that didn't need to be um, necessarily need to be there. Things that would have just been made the movie longer for no reason. And don't necessarily add too much to the actual plot. Yeah. Um, And so that's fine. You know, like I like to sometimes reference, like this is what actually happened in the book compared to the movie, but yeah, things are left out purposefully. But yeah, so at this point in the movie, I it's, it's not nothing really new to me, so we can keep, yeah they they sort of uh they sort of put it as there there's an impetus to uh leave and and move the ring because now someone's coming after it and the ring wraiths yeah and so after you know sometime in in the movies like whether they want to interpret it as lesser or more that isn't necessarily it's not that's not uh, necessarily important to the actual plot but after some time gandalf does return comes to the shire very perturbed uh, and he comes to Frodo and says like, you know, do you still have that ring? And is it safe? And he, he compels him 
to leave on sort of a quest. And he says, you need to take this ring and you need to go to the house of the elves, Rivendell. You need to take it somewhere safe. On the way, you need to go to a town called Bree and I will meet you there. But for now, he has to go and he needs to seek the counsel of one of the, the highest of his order, Saruman the White. Um, so Frodo, accompanied by his gardener, Samwise Gamgee, both embark on a journey to get to first debris and then onward to Rivendell. And while they're going out, they are trailed by their uh, two friends, uh, Peregrine Took and uh, I don't remember Mary's full name. Uh, Mary Doc Brandybuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, during this journey, they encounter their friends and, and continue on with them. And while they are on their journey, they are they are pursued by the ring race. These, you know, cloaked uh, black figures, you know, black riders, you might say. And they eventually do make it to Bree relatively safely. And while they are there, they take some uh, rest at an inn. And... During an encounter in the inn, Frodo slips and the ring falls coincidentally onto his finger and it is revealed that it turns him invisible yeah. to many people that, that see it apparently. But this also triggers the senses of the ring wraiths. Yes, this perks them up because they can sense that they can see him uh, when he enters the this shadowy realm that, that Frodo appears to be in. And it also piques the interest of one Strider. Yes, a man that is in the bar there. A ranger, uh, a ranger, a friend of Gandalf, but unbeknownst to the hobbits, you know, sees Frodo come, you know, reappear and takes him up stairs and references, you know, that, you know, like, you know, that thing that you have there is, is mighty and powerful. And, you know, you should be more careful. The other hobbits burst in to protect their friend and Strider makes it clear. I'm, you know, I'm a friend. You can trust me. I know Gandalf. Um, and so far the, the hobbits expected to have, met Gandalf there and it's strange that he isn't there. Wizard, wizards are always, they, wizards are never late nor are they early. They always arrive precisely when they mean to. Uh, it's literally one of the first things we get from in, in the movie um, and the very next time we expect him to be somewhere, he's just not there at all. So uh, apparently he didn't, you know, that was not precisely when he meant to arrive. But we as the audience know is because um, uh, he's getting, um, uh, you know, kind of messed up by uh, Saruman, who turns out to be in league with Lord Sauron. Lord Sauron, the evil, the dark one, who the one ring is tied to. Um, yeah, if I didn't say that technically, I mean, I, I just didn't, I just skipped over the historical part. But yeah, the one ring is tied to this dark lord. And the ring, the ring, ra- the ring wraiths are servants of Sauron trying to return the ring of power to yeah. its rightful seat. So Strider comes in league with the hobbits. And they continue their journey on uh, as they're going. Some, you know, fun little moments happen. You know, some pretty picture or not picturesque, uh, but, you know, pretty memorable moments. You know, nobody forgets second breakfast. Yeah. It's a lot of uh, Mary and Pippin adjusting to uh, they're not in the Shire and it's not going to be all fun and games. And they don't know quite just yet how not fun it's going to be. None of these hobbits do. It's kind of it. And thinking back to the first movie, having watched the other movies, uh, yeah, they have no idea what they're in for. Yep. 
So they continue to travel, and eventually they get to this sort of landmark of the area, which is uh, referred to as Weathertop. They uh, go and they make camp, and uh, Strider goes out to sort of patrol and scout the area and see if there might be anything going on. Um, And in the middle of the night, the other hobbits, not including Frodo, start campfire and cooking. Uh, Frodo wakes up and tries to dash the fire quickly, but it's too late. The ring rays have noticed their fire on Weathertop and are now pursuing them. And they follow them up to the top of Weathertop and up to the top of Weathertop. Uh, and they sort of, I mean, the hobbits try to defend themselves, but they are just cast aside. The, they're far, not nearly powerful enough to stand against the, the ring race. And one of the ring race comes to take the ring from Frodo and Frodo resists him. And he stabs him with a well, Frodo puts the ring on in this scene. Yes, he puts it on, you know, to to hide, you know, to to flee from them. But there it is revealed the true form of them, that they are like these these ghastly white men with, you know, crowns. And and uh, yes, when one of them reaches out, he resists and it stabs him with a, a black blade. And at this time, though, Strider comes to save them and battles off the ring race that are there, of which there are only five, I believe five out of nine or four out of nine. I think four. Yeah. Four out of nine, uh, battles them off and is able to, you know, prevent them from doing any more harm or from taking the ring. And then they have a rushed, they have to start moving. I want to take, make a note of this scene. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is what I would talk about earlier, that there was a scene in the movie that sort of stayed with me and made me not want to watch this movie again. Something that I don't think people talk about enough when it comes to the Lord of the Rings. And maybe this doesn't resonate with you because you didn't have this experience as a kid. This movie terrified me. This movie genuinely scared me. I'm pretty sure like I didn't have nightmares really as a kid, but I would... There were nights where I just thought about this scene and the ring wraiths and stuff. And it was just sort of some of some of the scariest stuff to me as a kid. And yeah, I'm pretty sure that that stayed with me in my subconscious because as I was watching the movie, I just sort of felt like like a little bit of like me as a kid, like watching those scenes came in and was just like, oh, God, (laughs) I remember the feeling I had watching this as a kid. Wow, that's interesting. I, you know, I, I kind of thought that that might be what you were getting at when you referenced it earlier. And I will say, they do a pretty amazing job in this movie of really creating terror and dread that you would feel for these ring race. I mean, the, the times that you encounter them, it's it's all a very menacing and and frightening experience. And yeah, they they make. I mean they make each scene like more and more as it builds on it, just uh, something they, they become something to be feared at least until Aragorn like beats down four of them, you know, one on one on four and you're like, Oh, okay. Well he's, he's like clearly a huge badass or something. But I, yeah, like, and it's not even just the ring wraiths, like the, the totality of this movie, like up to the, at this point in the movie, I'm just like, I don't see this movie getting any less scary to me. And, I just sort of like hid my eyes until I woke up and it was all bright and shiny and they were in Rivendell. And then I wanted to leave still. Well, yeah. So 
But yeah, so they continue on. They they try to keep moving, but uh, Frodo, having been wounded by this this blade, this blade that is is um, special. It's essentially a, a cursed, or you could say, a poisoned blade that now is infecting him with something that will turn him into a ring wraith uh, if it goes on for too long. Um, and they do their best to move onward, but they don't make uh, too much progress, and the ring wraiths are still following them um, until at one point in their journey, they are joined by Arwen, the basically the the daughter of the leader of Rivendell, an, an elf who comes and and takes Frodo away with her on a horse and you know you know speeds him quickly to Rivendell and on her journey is pursued by all of the ring race all nine of them that encounter and she is only barely able to uh, able to keep uh, just you know stay ahead of them and eventually passes the river into the territory of Rivendell and there when the ring race come against her and they come to charge against her she essentially summons some of the magic that is available to her in a, in a great flood comes down the river in the form of like trampling horses and destroys all the ringways, at least temporarily because the ringways cannot be destroyed for they are undead. Is that what happened? Yes. I thought they just got stopped by the river. Nope. They come to attack her. They all like are going to take blades and, you know, they, they call out to her and say, give it, give us the halfling she elf. And she literally calls upon magic. To are you certain that him. this is not the book? Nope. This is in the movie. Okay. That's weird. I don't remember that happening, but I, yeah. Yeah. Cause in the book, that's not even actually Arwen that comes to save uh, Frodo. It's a totally different elf. Okay. Well, Arwen's cool. Yeah, she's all right. Actually, arguably not as cool as the person in the book that saves him, but. He arrives right. in Rivendell and he's saved. Frodo's saved. Yep, he is saved. This is the first time that Frodo almost dies, but then doesn't. It happens a lot. Yep. A lot. Yeah. It's kind of his defining character trait is almost dying. Perseverance, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good trait almost dying and not is is a is a i would i would if i had to you know pick any trait that'd be a pretty decent one to have i'm just i'm just making I fun yeah i know <laughs> we've arrived in rivendell yep we've arrived in rivendell where when frodo awakens after being you know i, I mean he is on essentially death's door like he's passing you know away into where he might be transforming into the ring race soon enough but he, he gets to Rivendell in time and through the magic and healing of Elrond, the leader of Rivendell, he is saved and he awakens to see Gandalf, who has who has joined them there in Rivendell. Um, and we sort of learn from a flashback. I mean, it's not a flashback. This is happening in, in time with this journey that Gandalf, uh, after being. We didn't really go over what happened. You know, he goes to see Saruman. Saruman is, has turned over. And, and is uh, allying with Sauron, and he imprisons Gandalf on the top of his massive, ginormous tower, uh, Orthanc. And during this time, you know, he is trying to convince Gandalf to turn to his side, like, you know, you will, you will join me or you will die. And he thinks that he can turn Gandalf over, but at one point, Gandalf, you know, uses an opportunity um, and is able to summon help from one of the giant eagles who he is allied with, and they, he escapes this way and makes his way to Rivendell. Which, hey, thing in the books, that was a little different. When he escapes, he goes to meet them at Bree, is just too late, uh, encounters the ring race, and fights all nine of them at Weathertop before they have arrived at Weathertop. 
draws off most of them. And then the ones that are left are the ones that Aragorn uh, battles, which is why Aragorn was able to fight them because they were weakened after battling Gandalf. Interesting note. Yeah. So, but Gandalf's there, Aragorn's there, the four hobbits are there, and then they also arriving are uh, Legolas along with the other, uh, the Woodland Elves? Uh, yeah, so essentially, now that the ring has arrived in Rivendell, uh, it, is, it is such an important matter that Gandalf and Elrond say that this is this is so important, we need to speak with like all the peoples of this land like this like we we know that this is what it is and because of that like this this pertains to all persons so they summon uh representatives from all the different races from the dwarves from the, the elves, elves and dwarf, from men um uh boromir of gondor yeah gimli of you know the of the dwarves of uh uh erebor gimli the only dwarf yeah not and- He's not actually the only dwarf. They, there's a company of them, but the only ones that are really relevant here in the movie, like the only dwarf that speaks or is prominently shown on screen at all throughout these three movies. It's why it's why he did the hobbits because he wanted to have a bunch of dwarves. Yeah, I mean, arguably, yeah, they dwarves don't have a huge role even in the Lord of the Rings books. They just, you know, yeah, they're doing things that there's stuff that the dwarves are doing elsewhere, but but they're yeah they're they keep to themselves. Yeah. So, um, but there is now a assembly of all the different peoples and representatives that could be summoned here. And they have a council to essentially decide what the fate of the ring should be, what they should do with it. Now that they have this thing, this, this terrible, but powerful, essentially weapon that they, you know, that is sour, the key to Sauron's power. Uh, and they already know it's, it's sort of reported in this thing that, Sauron is marshaling forces and, and orcs are moving and there are greater danger is, is coming. Um, and through the discussions, uh, ideas are posed, uh, you know, to take it and use it as a weapon, um, which Gandalf makes clear that, you know, using this as a weapon, it would wield greater and worse power through you that it would corrupt and either, or, you know, turn you over or you would, you know, fail. This, this ring is a, is a evil weapon inherently and any person that uses it will be turned uh and he makes it clear that it cannot be used as a weapon and basically the the council eventually sort of you know they they try to they they have a decision that they say it must be destroyed and the only way to destroy it is to take it all the way to mordor into mount doom and cast it into the fires from which it was which it was created yeah and there becomes a big argument of over who's going to do it because, you know, the dwarves say like, I'm not going to let an elf do it. And the men say, I'm the strongest. And they begin to fight over it. And, it, you know, we know that, that there's a presence almost. Frodo is kind of feeling it and sensing that there, the presence of the ring is actually sowing discord amongst, you know, the people there. It's evil is literally seeping into them. And, and Frodo lets out a cry that he'll do it across all the men. And you all just, men and elves and dwarves. And you see this reaction from, uh, I, I mean, you get a reaction from a lot of them. Like some are just like astonished. They're just like, oh, wow, that that's a that's a pretty impressive of this Hobbit. But we see like Gandalf and Aragorn have an almost sadness to know that or when Frodo volunteered, he was right. He's the one that has to do it. Yeah. Particularly Gandalf. He he has this sort of resigned that this is the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
yeah. I mean, it's something unfortunate in the sense that, I mean, the, this Hobbit is essentially un uncorrupted. I mean, Hobbits have been sheltered and they are a peaceful folk. And the idea that Frodo's already experienced so much, you know, somewhat to say somewhat evil and, and, you know, terrible things already, but now to the idea that he's going to go into mortar or an evil land where there's, you know, nothing good um, is, you know, he's, he's basically Gandalf knows that he has a lot facing him now. And this decision is, you know, humble and, and heroic, but, uh, you know, like the pain that uh, he foresees him uh, going to experience is, is a lot, but a fellowship is created to mm -hmm. accompany Frodo on his mission. Yes. Made up of, uh, the elf Legolas, the dwarf Gimli, the man, Boromir, the man, Aragorn, and the other hobbits, Sam, Merry, and Pippin, and the wizard Gandalf. Mm -hmm. And the fellowship is formed. Then, uh, End of disc one. <laughs> and so there are a couple other things that are occurring here. I mean, there's an interaction between Boromir and Aragorn where they are, you know, they, they see the shards of Narsil, which is essentially the, the broken blade of, and that's okay. At some point, I don't know if we made this, the, the, the distinction that Strider is a nickname for Aragorn. Yeah. And Aragorn during the, uh, the council of Elrond is made clear that Aragorn is actually the, the heir to the throne of uh, Gondor. Which Boromir is is a you know he is the son of the steward and a captain of the guard, so he's you know you could probably say he's almost like a prince, but not you know they're technically not of a royal blood. They are just of a bloodline that is meant to protect the throne and and Gondor. So, but he's like you know probably the second most important person you know arguably in in Gondor, but Aragorn is essentially heir to that throne. He's supposed to be the the king there. He just has lived a life of you know isolation and has not taken that up uh, for uh, whatever you, you know, his own reasons, you know, out of not feeling ready to, or whatever. It's not necessarily gone over in the movie per se. it's even the books, they don't, they don't get into why he hasn't done it, you know, taken it up yet. I but. mean, he's grown up with elves his mo most of his life. So mm -hmm. it, yeah. Yeah. So it's not really explored. Yeah, there, there's an interaction between Boromir and Aragorn over, you know, that blade and, you know, him, you know, uh, you know, that sort of the, the feelings between that. There's an interaction with uh, Frodo and Bilbo. So Bilbo on his journey basically made his way, uh, you know, again, this there was we referenced, I, you know, book wise, very long time between Gandalf coming back. Bilbo goes on multiple adventures and he goes off to see the dwarves of Erebor and you know, to visit Lake Town. He basically goes back to all these places he visited before, and then he ends up in Rivendell. So he's there uh, when Frodo arrives, and and here we see him bequeath Frodo with a few of his items from his journey, uh, and, you know, a Mithril uh, shirt, which is basically made of a ultra-light and, you know, super hard, uh, rare, um, metal. you know, rare metal. And he gives him a magic sword that he used uh, previously, and, you know, some advice and he has an interesting interaction where we see some of this corruption from the ring, something that happened to Bilbo over time, this, this craven and need, you know, that, that seeped into Bilbo over many years, you know, who Bilbo, who is a, you know, kind and, and generous and all the things you could, you know, all the good things you could say about a hobbit. And, you know, he just has this moment of, of strange weakness and, and almost, you know, evil where he, you know, reaches out and wants the ring. Um, and we see it's, 
it acts as an interesting reflection of like something, you know, a, he lived in essentially relative like comfort and safety and, and, but over time the ring still did that to him. And, yeah. you know, we see that again, this is something that Frodo might experience. And you have to journey. take him as the character that he was in the Hobbit books to recognize who Bilbo was mm-hmm. to have it corrupt him so severely. Yeah. Um, and so we have that interaction there and, uh, I'm trying to remember if there's anything else we're missing. There, there's also an interaction between uh, Aragorn and Arwen where we kind of get, we basically see like they are, you know, like they're in love and, but there's an issue. I mean, he is a man and he, you know, like he, he has a he different mortal. fate. He's mortal. It's, you know, issues and blah, blah, blah. And that Elrond, the father of Arwen does not necessarily agree with her staying behind and, you know, loving a man who will die. Yeah. And the, so there's this thing where the elves are, the elves of Rivendell are leaving to go to to basically get out of Middle Earth, and he wants to send uh, Arwen along with that journey. But she she is making it pretty clear that she does not want to leave. But we get more of the interplay in the scene. But in this movie, we see that she gives Aragorn this. Uh, what appears to be a pendant on a necklace mm-hmm. that she has. And do you want to clarify? Cause it's not articulated in the films exactly what that is. So do you want to clarify? It's so, I mean, again, I'm, I'm not like a super Lord of the Rings expert. You know, I've read the books and things, but like sometimes the books are so thick sometimes, like I forget all the stuff in them. Um, but it's, I, I believe it is an amulet that sort of, it has like a, again, also to say when I say it has some magic in it, that magic isn't like super like it's you know Tolkien didn't write like a hard magic system he wasn't like this is how magic works right yeah things are just kind of magical in the books and this amulet is kind of magical it's tied to her like life force kind of or something uh yeah again I you know if if somebody listening to this knows better than I do please clarify more but my my impression was that the it was like almost like her soul or her heart that she was giving to him her her immortality in a way yeah i don't know if it's quite exactly that it's not her giving her immortality um but it is it is something like it is kind of like a you know protective sort of you know thing and it's just a very rare like super you know nice amulet it's representative but in a show of her true love and devotion gives it to Aragorn mm-hmm. as he's uh, um, getting ready to go on this quest. Yeah. So, I mean, up to this point, is there any general thoughts about like the first half of the movie or anything new? Uh, the first half of the movie, again, probably the part of the, the, all of these movies that I had the best idea of what was happening, what was going on. Um, my impression of these characters I guess let's let's think of it that way. Uh, Frodo, cool. Sam, cool. At this point, Sam doesn't have a really lot going on. He's just kind of there. Uh, Mary and Pippin, they're funny, like those guys. Uh, Legolas and Gimli don't get a ton of them. They're just sort of regulated to the side. It's funny because as a kid, we we really your love of lord of the rings definitely permeated outside of watching the movies like whether it was just talking about lord of the rings characters or playing video games honestly i got a lot of memories of playing lord of the rings video games watching these movies like oh i've never seen this before but i remember 
either playing this part of the video game or seeing this when you played the video game. So in my mind, Legolas and Gimli were much more important characters. And at this point, they're, they've only barely been there, but they, they're, they're not, they don't really have pronounced arcs throughout these stories, but they do provide good character, interesting moments, particularly Gimli. Gimli's great. Yeah. I mean, the, probably the, the, I don't think I, as a child understood that Gimli was a comic relief. I mean, yeah, they certainly, he certainly gives a lot of cool comic relief and everything. I mean, I, I, he's enjoyable. I mean, I, I love all these characters, but I, I like Gimli for being kind of a, a, a funny, you know, breath of fresh air while still, well, not being like, he, he's not quite a joke. You know, he's not like, he's a dwarf. He, he is authentically the dwarfiest dwarf you ever did see. Yeah, exactly. Like it, but it's not, you know, it's funny that you go watch the Hobbit and you're like, all right, dwarves, right? Like they can still be honorable and like cool and stuff, but also kind of like, you know, like silly. Um, but uh yeah um and then i think boromir is really the character that i knew the least about going in these movies i just know that he's played by sean bean and that he dies in the fellowship <laughs> yeah which really just started a long string of him playing characters that die yeah yeah. Oh no, actually I think it started earlier than that because he was because he was the double O in the Bond film that also died. Poor scene Bond. Yeah. Yeah. He just doesn't get to be a character that, you know, gets to live. I mean, he doesn't die in National Treasure, but he doesn't have a happily ever after either. Yeah. Well. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, the fellowship sets out from Rivendell. They begin a journey along paths to go to Mordor, and they are going to go on what they believe is the best, quickest, and safest route, um, making for the gap to Rohan. If I had to guess what was added in the extended edition, I would guess maybe going to that the mountain with like all the snow, only for them to just turn around and have that be sort of like just be there like it felt like padding like watching them trudge through the snow only for them to be like all right let's go some other way uh interestingly no it's actually (laughs) an important thing in the book and uh definitely in the main movie it was in the theatrical cut yeah at the end of this i want to ask what was added uh but so yeah they you can probably tell a lot of the things as you're you you I guess it's hard because you never, yeah, you can't because you yeah. never watch the theatrical. I don't know what is seen as not needed, but if you, if you, if you have a good idea of knowing what they are, we can discuss that at the end. If you don't really know, then it's something I can maybe look up later. Yeah. I mean, uh, I can, I, I know some of the things I can reference, but uh, uh, yeah, up to this point, I can't, well, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it more later. Um, but so they're traveling along and while they're traveling, they, spot and hide from this uh massive like bird-like creatures essentially or you know basically birds as far as we know they call them something like a crab crab line from dunlin or something uh, you know again i don't i don't remember exactly even what that is but these birds fly overhead and they're they 
identify that these birds are not normal, that they're spies for Saruman. And so this pass that they were going to take, the quickest, safest, fastest uh, way to go to get uh, to where they're going is guarded. And if they are seen, then they'll probably be attacked. So they now have uh, a choice that's presented to them. They can either go over the mountain and uh, by traveling over the mountain, get to the other side, or it's suggested that they go through the Mines of Moria, which would be going under the mountain. Which at the at the suggestion of this, we see Gimli say, oh, yes, let's go through the Dwarven territory. I'll, I'll see my uh, Dwarven brother and it'll be a it'll be a good time. But we see Gandalf just clearly like very troubled about the idea of going this way. But he leaves the choice up to Frodo mm-hmm. of where to go. Yeah. So but they. Well, at first they do just go over the mountain because yeah, they, they do. Yeah, they attempt that. The yeah, snow, they attempt it. But at some point they are basically beaten um, back by what they believe to be, you know, like Saruman is casting spells and, he, and he's, you know, basically making it very difficult to travel dangerous, like a whole storm uh, brews up. Yeah. And at some point they have to make a decision whether they try to keep going on, even though it's so dangerous or they go back and Frodo decides, let's go back. Let's go through the mines. Um, they make their way down. They get to the gates of Moria, and after some time, they figure out the the passphrase to get inside, and they begin to enter. When you know they realize that something is is wrong, like these these mines, the, whatever dwarves were here are dead, and you know some, something killed. Like it is not good, and they you know they begin to try and leave as if they're going to make for you know the pass again and say they they can't go this way. When some sort of you know beast comes, primordial beast with tentacles comes out of the water just outside the gate, and it begins to attack them, and uh, they are pressed inside the gates, and the gates are torn asunder, and they are trapped within. So yeah. they must only go forward. So interesting things about these parts, um, you know, from the books. Uh, Gandalf actually was the one that wanted to go through the mines, and Aragorn did not. Interesting. Um, and I believe it's uh, that like they both traveled through the mines uh, at some point, but Gandalf more uh, less recently and Aragorn. Uh, and, and when they traveled through, pre- you know, Aragorn was less sure of what was it. And he was more um, it was more dangerous to him. Uh, but when Gandalf passed through, he said he just it was all quiet. Uh, and. Uh, that um, Gimli they did not know Gimli uh, says in the movies that he's like, Oh, we'll be treated. It'll be so great. But in the, in the uh, books, Gimli and his company have not heard from the, you know, the, the dwarves that went to Erebor in many months. So they actually, in some ways he wants to find out what's going on there. He does not know what's, what's happened. They haven't heard, had any messages for a long time. Yeah. I mean, it's casually implied that like he hasn't seen him in a while, but he's just, sort of assumes the best. Yeah. Like there, there's, a, I think there's even a reference in the book where they, somebody asks, they're like, Oh, well, you know, what do you know? What's, what's happened to what's going on with Balin and Moria? And they say, well, we don't know what's going on. In fact, we're going to, we'd like to go there and find out. So, um, nonetheless, they enter the mines of Moria and it's, you know, a dark, uh, place underground and we have them traveling for some time. And, you know, once they get to us, they get to a certain place when, once they've gone deeper in and this, this massive, huge hall underground is uh revealed and they keep moving and eventually they they see they they get a little bit of light that's somehow penetrating down deep here and when they enter that place they see a tomb uh where balan 
uh, Gimli's cousin is laid to rest and they have a record there of what happened before. And while Gandalf reads this record of, you know, what, what had happened in the last moments of Moria or the dwarves that were here, Pippin uh, knocks a skeleton in a bucket down a well and just causes a raucous amount of noise. Yeah. And this noise awakens the goblins that were sleeping deep down in Moria. And the company knows that they are coming for them. And then they engage in this pretty, I mean, to me, one of the, you know, coolest battles, uh, I, yeah, I would agree. It's definitely a, definitely a good tense scene. Yeah, just a lot going on. Just, I mean, crazy. They're surrounded. They, they start flooding in. We start really getting to see the whole fellowship just going to work, you know, just fighting these things. And eventually a, a cave troll breaks in and starts just whipping on them. At one point, the cave troll, Aragorn tries to protect Frodo from the cave troll, but the cave troll pierces Frodo with his, with a long, massive pike. And... Almost dead Frodo number two. Yeah, almost dead Frodo number two. And the, you know, the party, they they sort of slay all the goblins that are immediately threatening them and kill the troll. And they think that Frodo is is dead, but he is not. He is saved by the Mithril armor, which, yes. and they're all surprised to see it, uh, which I think, uh, so, you know, one, one to comment on. I think there's a point where uh, they're talking about, uh, there's an extended scene where they talk about how, you know, uh, Bilbo's old mithril thing, and that it was worth an entire, it was worth more than the whole Shire, as they not realizing that Frodo's wearing it. Yeah, yeah. So that that is an extra scene, not in, in the movie, but I always thought it was interesting. <laughs> um, uh, so, but they now have to leave. They have to move quickly, and they start to move, and they uh, run, and at, at a certain point, as they're trying to escape, and make it to this doorway that would descend them deeper. Uh, they are surrounded and it looks like they're, I mean, they're surrounded by what looks like just thousands and thousands of goblins. Like they would, I mean, they would surely just get destroyed here, but something makes the goblins run away. Something emitting fire, bigger, huge. It's, you know, booming as its steps fall and the goblins like run off. They run away and the party you know, Gandalf is like, run, like we need to go like, Fine. And, and yeah, he, he knows that something that this is, he knows what this is himself. It's something that's dwelled deep in Moria and stayed asleep for long, but they have woken it now. And so they begin heading down these broken stairs deeper, deeper into Moria uh, to escape. And when it looks like they are finally getting to where, where they can exit, this last lone bridge that will get them out of there. Uh, this creature, a Balrog, a it, Balrog of Moria. It uh, finally say? catches them, and Gandalf turns to face it, and you know, using his magic, you know, kind of repels it for a moment, and then you know, sunders the bridge so that the Balrog will fall deep into this chasm below. You shall not pass. Yep, you shall not pass. Another again. This. This is another scene that I remembered seeing. Like I had seen this scene before. However, I may have seen it at the beginning of the two towers mm -hmm. is the one thing I'll give there. That may have been where I saw this scene as a kid. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as it's falling, it uses a whip in its hands to grab hold of Gandalf's feet and he falls to the edge and the rest of the party sees Gandalf and, you know, again, another another one of those uh, iconic uh, phrases 
fly, you fools. And he lets go, and Gandalf plummets down with the Balrog. And Frodo, and I mean, everybody's devastated, but Frodo in particular, Gandalf. Yeah, so it's, I mean, it's a, it's a hard moment for everybody. You know, Gandalf was, like, in some sense, really there, you know, the, the wisdom, the leader uh, in a lot of ways, and it's a big loss for them. This is truly a scene where I wish I could have known what it was like to watch this without the um uh without the knowledge of him coming back like i wish there was a universe where i as an adult could have watched the lord of the rings without spoilers yeah i'm glad that as a kid like i had not read the books before i read uh, watched the first movie like the first movie was my introduction into you know the, the lord of the rings um and so i it was essentially a surprise to me and I did not read it. I did not read the books even after the second movie. It wasn't until I actually watched the third movie that I went back and actually read all the books uh, for the first time. As an 11 year old. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but we have the party. They're escaping. They're distraught. They take a moment, uh, you know, to, to weep for Gandalf, but they cannot rest. The goblins that are left are going to be pursuing them. And so they push on into the forest of Lorthlorien, where there's said to be a witch. Yes, a witch. Um, you know, superstition really uh, about, you know, like that the, you know, the, the elves that are here are bad or something. Uh, and, but eventually they encounter the elves of Lorthlorien who know of Frodo. They, they know that he, you know, is the ring bearer and that he's been coming this way. They know that Aragorn, or they know who Aragorn is, and they basically take the rest of them into Lothlorien. And they bring them all before Galadriel, uh, the, you know, sort of de facto leader of Lothlorien. And, you know, she, uh, her and, uh, her and, I don't know, you know, again, I, I have known his name before, but basically her, like, her man's who's also there. He's actually kind of a big deal too, but not to the story for the most part in the movie. Galadriel's the only one that matters. (laughs) Yeah. You know, they, they ask about where Gandalf is and they have to report that Gandalf has, has passed. He fell in Moria, which, uh, you know, is is just, it's bad for everybody. It's bad for the the world. Basically Gandalf was a big deal. Um, and there, they basically take some rest and there is a moment where we get to have Frodo go and, uh, he meets with Galadriel and there, he offers her the ring. Yes, she allows him to look into essentially a magic viewing mirror. Uh, and this mirror shows him a view of the present and the past and the future. And the things that he sees are, you know, the potential destruction of the, of the Shire and how it looks now. And, you know, thing, uh, in, in the movie, I can't remember all the images that he sees. I know that in the in the book, he does essentially see some of the things in the future. Like he, he sees himself later captured and uh other things um and also i believe in the books sam is there as well i can't remember in the movie if he's there no it's just uh frodo and gladriel as i recall yeah well um and yeah during this time essentially he he offers the ring to gladriel and gladriel basically has like a reaction the you know her she is a super powerful essentially being on the earth and and what's been made Somewhat, it's it's not very clear in the movies, but it is made a point that 
powerful beings like are the kind of people that might be able to control the ring, but it would basically turn them evil. And it would be just as bad as Sauron having the ring. Uh, because I mean, and she's already has a ring of power. She has one of the elf rings. Yeah. So, uh, she has this reaction and she, you know, shows herself as being this, this great and terrible being. Yeah. And, and with that, it almost tells herself, she realizes like, yeah, there's no way I could take this ring. It would, this is, I mean, even just the thought of taking it would have already transformed me. So yeah, much in the same way Gandalf had refused it before. It's basically a more spelled out like example of why even those that are good with power can't should not be given the ring. Yeah, because I mean, it's the the thing the ring will do is it'll give you it'll it'll usually heighten your inherent abilities, but it'll also it'll promise you what you most desire. Yeah, here's the thing. It's it's the sort of it's the metaphor of the ring in general. Absolute power corrupts absolutely Mm -hmm. yeah um but so after this you know she says she's like no you have to keep the ring and you are the right one to to take it um and yeah the sort of interaction essentially ends but it's uh like you know just like a interesting thing that happens and then she gives gifts to everyone yeah and then when they are ready to leave she gives them all uh you know uh different gifts each one a different thing uh, Mary and Pippin are given uh, daggers for elves, but essentially swords for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam is given some rope. Frodo is given this uh, light. Yes, he's given you know the the fuck. Why can't God? I'm gonna t- what what a terrible Lord of the Rings. I can't <laughs> remember what this is called right now. Uh, the light of the Even Star, I believe. No, that's not it. That's that's what uh, Arwen wears. Uh, basically, he gives it gives him some bottled uh, starlight. Yeah, is what it is, um, which is like a powerful thing. You know, it's, it it will emit a you know powerful light in in the darkest of blah 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 and protect him kind of. And they're given this elven bread where if you eat just a little bit of it, it'll fill your stomach up. Yeah. And there's the little joke where Mary and Pippin are just, or is like, how many have you had? I've had uh, four. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the uh, and uh, what else do they? Think they get anything else? Oh, and one thing that seems like it's kind of a weird thing, but Gimli's gift, which you find, is just three pieces of Galadriel's hair. Which I don't know if that comes up for any like plot reason. So in the books, from like the the significance of this is that like I think in the Silmarillion, um, it is like referenced that. A, another elf like a powerful important elf like asked her asked her for like some of her hair for some like you know reason or something and she refused them at that time so like for her to give him uh, like a, a dwarf like a lowly dwarf uh her hair um, it's like the highest honor yeah it's like a highest honor and he and Gimli realizes this like in the books he realizes that it's like a huge deal like and you see that like Gimli, he always is like, oh, you know, elves, ha ha ha. And like, you know, this this general like, you know, regular racism between elves and dwarves. But like when he experiences Gladriel, he basically is like, you are the most beautiful thing I've ever seen on this planet. Like bar none. You just are the most like there's nothing more gorgeous than you. Um, and yeah, then she is, you know, she's a uh, very. Uh, what's the term I'm looking for? 
ethereal i don't know uh, yeah majestic no i'm just saying like she's you know she's yeah she's definitely like moved by it yeah so yeah so they send them on their way in boats and they travel down the river and are making good way um and eventually they come to a point where they make camp and i want to make a point actually we've totally passed over here is that Gandalf confirms, and it's you know you sort of get this indication a few times that the the fellowships have been being followed since the Moria. In Moria, it's very clearly you know shown that like something is following them there in Moria, and we get an extended this is another extended scene is that something is also following down the river. Um, and uh, it is a uh, Gollum, and Gollum is the previous owner of the ring before Bilbo. Bilbo encountered Gollum deep under the Misty Mountains and in a riddle contest. And, you know, if anybody's seen the Hobbit or read the Hobbit, you know, in a riddle contest, he essentially outsmarted him and, and sort of won or tricked the, the ring from him. Tricksters. Yeah. And, uh, so Gollum has, you know, been following them all this time because he is, you know, ring bearers are tied to the ring and Gollum had it for many hundreds of years. And it, you know, if it somewhat corrupted Bilbo, it, truly corrupted Gollum and, and he, he, he forgot his name. Yeah. To the point where he forgot his name and it, so, you know, he, he senses it and he's following it. He's doing everything he can to get back to it because it's just his, the only thing that, you know, it's like, uh, you know, there, there's this very interesting like metaphor or simile for like drugs. It's just like, it's, it's got, it's hooked into him so deep. Like he can't be without it and he'll do anything and follow it anywhere. Um, and, but so we have him, he's following them down the river. Um, but we have the party and they stop for uh, camp on one side and they believe that pretty relatively soon, if they continue down the river as they have been, they'll eventually get to um, Gondor. And there's a, there's a moment here where I think the books, they say it where they, they're making a choice of what they're going to do next. Like, where do they go next of the river? And they sort of decide that they are going to go to Gondor, but they don't think that it's, there's like there's a little bit of like they don't know if it's a good idea because while they'll feel protected there, uh, they're you know they're they're di- directly opposed from Mordor, so there's no way to uh, sneak by. And obviously Boromir wants to go to uh, Gondor, but it's not really the best decision. So there's a little bit of a split, and eventually, uh, eventually they are like they're just trying to decide where to go. And while they are making camp, uh, everybody notices that Frodo's missing, and so is Bormir. And we have, you know, Frodo basically just, he was just going off, and he's been considering something. Again, in the books, we know it a little better, but, you know, in the movies, we'll know in a moment. But he, he goes off by himself, and Bormir encounters him, you know, while collecting firewood. And we have this interaction where, where Bormir sort of makes a... a you know, uh, he, he pleads to Frodo a little bit about, you know, like, hey, you should, you know, come on, we, we should go to Gondor and you should, you know, you should give me the ring and stuff. And, and Frodo's, you know, resisting him and, and Bormir, something overtakes Bormir and he kind of flies into almost a rage and, and, you know, he tries to assault Frodo and take it from him. Um, and Frodo puts the ring on and, and, you know, beats Bormir over the head and is able to escape from him. And, and when, uh, you know, Bormer like slips and falls and, and, and he realizes what he's done. Yeah. He, you know, he, he regrets his action and, but he's lost Frodo at this point. Yeah. And Frodo runs away and 
Aragorn finds him and, and Frodo's still on, you know, on his guard. He doesn't, he's not, you know, he doesn't really trust Aragorn, but Aragorn, you know, he's like, you know, Hey, you can, you can trust me. Like, I don't know what's happened, but you, you know, you don't have anything to worry about for me. But this time they realize that's that, uh, something's coming and Oregon or Aragorn tells Frodo, he says, go run. And he, I think Aragorn gets this feeling and, and basically it's that Frodo has been considering going on his own, that he sees that Gandalf is lost. And at this point he, you know, he's accepted like, this is my burden to bear and I don't want anybody else to suffer for it. So I should just go alone. Yeah. Um, and this is something he's been considering during this time, but now it's almost been proved like, like Boromir was almost a threat to me. And I, you know, he basically makes a decision that he's going to go on his own. And Aragorn recognizes that that's what he's, he's going to do and tells him to run. And a, a huge company of orcs shows up that have been tracking them for some time. And Aragorn basically bravely faces them down and Legolas and Gimli come to help him. Uh, that the orcs are still pursuing Frodo and they're, they're running down the way. Uh, and we have the orcs sort of bearing down towards Frodo and uh, Merry and Pippin, uh, you know, see him and they, and they think oh, Frodo has to get out of here. They, they, you know, they don't understand at first, but they figure out like he's leaving, he's going, we have to get, make sure that he can escape. And so they run to, to draw off the uh, orc forces. Frodo keeps running and, you know, Merry and Pippin are running from the orcs, but Boromir comes in to fight the orcs off and protect them. And is just cleaving orcs left and right. When the leader of their of, of this orc band is it, it's an Urukai, right? Yeah, Ur, you know Urukai, which are essentially you know like a uh, in you know and a combination of you know from what what is an Urukai, right? What's the difference between orc and goblin? Well, from what I understand from some things I've like you know read about Lord of the Rings before, orcs and goblins are actually interchangeable. There is no difference. It's just uh, you know two different words for the same thing as far as this universe goes. Um. But Urukai are supposed to be like a hybrid of men and, and uh, uh, orcs or, you know, men and, and goblins, you could say. So they are like, a, you know, they're a bigger, stronger, faster uh, version. Smarter. Yeah. And but this leader of them, of this these Urukai, it draws back this mighty bow and it, you know, hits Boromir with an arrow and another one and another one. He just takes three arrows straight to the chest. And he falls in the, the uh, Urukai take Merry and Pippin. And just before this, this, the leader is going to, you know, this, you know, cut Boromir down, you know, finally killing him. Aragorn shows up and battles this Urukai, and in the end kills him, cleaves his fucking head off. Um, and we have this moment, this, this tender moment between Boromir and Aragorn where, you know, it's, it's just like this pretty touching moment you know, where he, you know, sort of tells him like, I, you know, I would have, I would have followed you. And, and we get like there, it's, it's been made pretty clear. Uh, so, or, you know, they, they definitely take a time in the movie to show a little bit of this, like, you know, tension between Boromir and Aragorn. Yeah. Um, because again, like Aragorn's places to really, you know, take over where Boromir and has, his father. Yeah, his and and also like a, a thing between them also is that Boromir has been here defending Gondor for many years, but Aragorn is the heir by blood 
and he would just show up and take the, you know, King, like, it's almost like, you know, you just, just had to show up, but I've been here. I've been, you know, fighting for this, this country for a long time, but he tells him in his last moments, like he would have followed him like that. He, you know, and, and he, you know, passes away. Yeah. Um, and we see that Frodo made it to the back to the camp and he take starts to take one of the boats and Sam, you know, sees him there and he says, you know, Frodo, like, where are you going? Like, I'm coming with you. And, and Frodo says, no, I'm going by myself. And Sam is so committed to the point where he literally starts wading out into the water. Even Frodo, though he can't swim. Yeah. And, and again, we have another like touching moment where Sam is so committed to stay with Frodo that he's literally like about to drown, like would have would have literally followed him out there and drowned rather than leave him. Yeah. And Frodo at the last second, you know, pulls him out, out of the water and, you know, they have like a touching moment, like an embrace and stuff, and they continue on. And that essentially is how, well, and then we have um, Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli come together and decide that they, <sighs> Legolas and Gimli learn that they're no longer helping Frodo along his way. But rather than completely disband, they just they agree that the best course of action is to save the hobbits. Yeah, they can't leave Merry and Pippin, you know, to be tortured or or killed. So they are going to go after them, and that is essentially how the fellowship ends right there. So yeah, and in in more than one way, mm-hmm. te- technically the fellowship of the ring is not disbanded, but it's not as it started. We mm-hmm. have Frodo and Sam off on one. Miriam Pippin kidnapped by orcs, Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli forming the world's most iconic D and D trio, and Boromir sadly gone. Gandalf also gone, and for now, yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Spoilers, Ryan. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, so I know we kind of just like railed through a, a lot of stuff right there. Um, and you know. It, at this point, we're at the end of the movie, so we're basically just moving into our, our talking points. But, you know, let's maybe go back to this, the most recent portions that I was just talking about there. You know, anything to stand out that you'd want to comment on? Uh, so I knew Boromir was going to die. And I knew that he was a little, uh, I knew that he was more susceptible to the power of the ring than, uh, any other member of the fellowship. So a lot of that stuff kind of played out how I expected it to really uh, in, in general, this movie, there's like stuff that I didn't know happened, but in general things played out as I thought they would. The interactions between Boromir and Aragorn, I had a feeling that they'd have this sort of like tension, but would end with like a camaraderie. Uh, yeah, I knew, uh, Mary and Pippin were just going to be sort of like goofy. Uh, but I don't think I ever, I don't think I knew that Mary and Pippin got kidnapped, which is interesting because I've, I, I, I've seen a little bit, I had seen a little bit of the two towers before. And so I knew that they got separated, but I don't think that I knew that they got kidnapped at the end of this movie. I knew that the, the end of this movie, Sam and Frodo would uh, get off on the boat together. I, I actually watched that happen uh, in theaters. Like I had left the theater to watch a different movie 
But by the time that movie ended, Lord of the Rings was like at this point in the movie where uh, Sam and Frodo go off and then Legolas, Aragorn and Gimli decide to go after the hobbits. But yeah, so this movie in a lot of ways played out how I expected it to, but just had a lot more depth to everything. And I think looking back at this movie, having also watched the other two movies, I I think I would have had different things to say about this movie had I not watched the other two. But having watched the other two, I think this movie is really good at setting things up. And uh, one thing thing I'll note is uh, there are like sort of in my in my estimation like notable important characters in the lord of the rings that really mostly only appear in this movie and if they appear in other movies it's very lightly like boromir he's only alive in this movie but his presence is felt somewhat in the two towers but a lot in or a lot more than in the two towers than it was uh, more in return of the king than in the two towers you get the presence of boromir because of the impact he had on other people um arwen you get her like she's properly in the story in this movie and in the other movies it's more like flashbacks and just seeing what's happening but it's not as uh she's not like present she's just elsewhere but having her with Aragorn sets her up to matter. And that comes more into play in, I would say in particular in the two towers, but yeah. Um, I, I, I've, I've kind of lost my track. So do you have any other? Um, well, let me, you know, just throw out some questions. So you can what would you say is your like, favorite moment in this movie like scene even in fellowship um my favorite scene i i in my mind the thing that sticks out is uh galadriel with frodo i it's just i'm a i don't know it's just like this sort of haunting thing like the her basically showing the corruptive powers that the ring potentially has on even her who is like shown to be like pretty much like an angel is what she looks like. Uh, so that's a scene that sticks out to me. Um, I, I like a lot of like the sort of humorous, like walking around stuff. Like when they, when they are just sort of saying funny stuff, like the, what about second breakfast? Like mm-hmm. the, it's the little things. It's like all the little quips more than any particular scene, at least in this movie, this movie of the three, I think is the most just like a whole rather than any specific part. Like I would say that I would say that the two towers in particular is the, has a lot more of standout scenes and parts of the movie. Whereas this movie, I sort of feel the same way about the movie the whole way through. 
except some of the walking in the middle uh, of them basically before Gandalf dies, but after they've left Rivendell, that's sort of a slow part of the movie, but everything else I generally like. So all the going through the mines of Moria is slow. I like the action. I'm not, you know, like I, I, I entering the mines, it gets better, but like before they go into the mines, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Well, no, that, I mean, that makes that. I understand that. One thing that I think is interesting about the movies is that two towers has always actually been my favorite movie. Right. I, but, I think it's, uh, yeah, I agree with that. We'll we'll get into that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, Fellowship is the thing is fellowship has a, a real right and proper beginning, right? A real actual start to a movie. And it has almost a something where things kind of conclude in a way. It's that that's what I recalled watching as a kid, seeing them like no conclusion and like, uh, like no like finality in this movie. It's, it's a good setup, mm-hmm. but it, yeah. Yeah. But it's, it is being, being the first movie. It's got a good setup, but it doesn't, you know, quite come. I mean, they again, they kind of tie some things up, but it is just continuation. And right? it ends on a downer too. Yeah, exactly. Like Boromir this. just died. Gandalf's dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam and Frodo have to go do it alone. Uh, Merry and Pippin have been kidnapped by orcs. Yeah. Um, and then you have Return of the King, which has a very good ending, right? It's actually an amazing movie. Obviously starts like, you know, well overall. Um, but then you have the two towers that just sits in the middle and is a middle movie, like starts as a continuation and ends as a continuation. So we'll be able to get more into that. Yeah. Uh, I, I definitely have opinions about the arcs of the movie as a trio, but fellowship as a standalone film, it definitely made me like I ended the fellowship like I went into watching the fellowship. I was like, this is going to be four hours. And I finished the fellowship and I was like, all right. I mean, eight hours left still, but I, I kind of want to watch it. Uh, I, I, I feel much more motivated to watch it now because the fellowship does a good job of like investing you in these characters. I, I, I'm going to talk about this more with the other two movies, but, uh, I went into this movie with probably the character that having not seen the movies, the character that I always liked the most was Frodo because it's the like, so the sort of he's the main character, the sort of face of the movies in a way. And I always thought of Aragorn as being like the sort of generic man fighter ranger guy. But in watching the movie, finally, uh, Aragorn is like, he like, he has this like genuineness to him. This like, there's depth to him as a man that like, even when he's Strider, the Ranger, there's this quality to him that I sort of instantly like, was like, you know what? Yeah, this dude, I, I, I want to see more of him. And even by the, just the end of this movie, I could, I'm like, I can, I can see how he'll become king 
but he he and he does more to earn that going forward but yeah aragorn impressed me was way more interesting than i thought he would be and mary and pippin funny characters sam wise gamgee i think gets a lot of credit as a good character in these movies as he deserves but not so much in this movie he's not really that important like at all other than being frodo's friend yeah it's not until he becomes like his own protagonist essentially like in this movie he be he is more or less a side character and there's a few like aragorn's kind of a main character frodo's sort of a main character and gandalf are kind of main characters and and that sort of persists to a degree but but sam it becomes sam and frodo i haven't even talked about gandalf really gandalf is uh he he really just does talk in riddles and stuff in a way but the thing the thing about gandalf that i think works best about him is and it's something with how the film shot so much of gandalf is shot in the close-ups on his face and you you need a quality actor to be given good close-up acting like all throughout this movie and you get that with uh sir ian mckellen and he it's just it's just anytime gandalf is there you're just kind of like you just can't help but love gandalf <laughs> i know and and you know ian mckellen man it like that deep voice and the way he says things and like will draw out certain senses and oh uh, yeah it's just the most perfect iconic like favorite it's like my favorite character in anything ever and conversely Christopher uh, Lee as uh, Saruman is just so like he he has that um a voice maybe even more like deep and like uh, gravitas having than uh, Gandalf but in such a dark sinister way like I. My my perception of Saruman is like, I know that he's bad and I know that he's a bad wizard who at least at this point is more powerful than Gandalf, but he really just has this like, he, he, he he's a scary dude. And like when he like starts conjuring up the weather on the mountain to basically impede their way, like it, it really just like paints this picture of this, uh, scary guy quite frankly mm -hmm. yeah which i mean like the idea that he has the power to bring down like a storm from that far away it, yeah it really does illustrate his power a lot more i mean him and gandalf fight a little bit but it's like what else do it's really one-sided at this point yeah. yeah yeah interesting thing though in the books it is not saruman that causes a storm the mountain causes a storm the mountain does not like people uh, traveling on it and it is angry and wants to beat them. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, another interesting thing I believe I read somewhere is that uh, Christopher Lee actually met J.R.R. Tolkien. And when they met, Tolkien said that if there were to be a movie, or I mean, I, and I, this, this could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I read it somewhere, is that if, they, if there was to be a movie, he would want Christopher Lee to play Gandalf. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. But I think 
Yeah, that is a weird thing because you could argue that Christopher Lee makes sense as Saruman because he had a, a film history of being a villain, uh, of being Dracula, but like in a way, like the same year that Ga- that Ian McKellen was playing good guy Gandalf, he was also Magneto. So, yeah, I don't know. I but hey, it's I I can't ever unsee you know, Ian McKellen being Gandalf. He's just yeah, Gandalf yeah. forever now. So. Yeah, yeah, iconic. Mm. Um, truly, honestly. So, would you say you're? I mean, would you say you could pick a favorite character or? After watching the Fellowship, I think my character, pro- favorite character, was probably still Frodo. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll see if that changes. Yeah. Um. So an interesting thing I like to bring up is that so this movie. I mean, like, what do you think of Boromir as a character? Um, I think he represents a. In the way that Aragorn is like an elevated man, quite literally, it's it's articulated, I think, in the Two Towers, maybe Return of the King, that he is uh, more more than a normal man. Uh, Boromir is a regular man put into the Fellowship, and he is the representation of how the ring is bound to easily corrupt men. And I think that's sort of the role he plays in this movie to show the immediate powers that the ring, the, the immediate evils of the ring to corrupt Boromir, to take uh, malicious actions. See, one thing I, I think that the movies do a little bit of discredit is that, uh, Boromir in the books is is really made out to be an equally noble man. Uh, and I think in the movies, they sort of portray him a little more like uh, just like they, they don't they don't shed him in the, in the best light. I'll say that it, in in the fellowship, you get some flashback of him in two towers to paint his character a little more accurately to what the book is, because the next two movies treat Boromir like he was this sort of great paragon of men Mm -hmm. that he does not, he does not come off as in this movie. Uh, But in this movie, he's portrayed as his father's son, Mm -hmm. which we don't get the father until a little bit in the next movie, a lot of it in the last movie, but he, he does come off as, uh, not the best guy to be honest and yeah and maybe it's the Sean Bean qualities of it of him giving a sort of villainous air to the character but we know that he could have played it uh more honorable so yeah I mean I I think it's a directing choice maybe to paint him out to me I don't know it's I, it's a it's a it's a decision. I'll say that. I mean, okay. Here's the thing: is it is it serves the the story really well? Is that they make him like a sort of like this? You know, where where you give a couple moments where he seems redeemable. He doesn't seem like he's evil necessarily. Yeah, but he seems 
corruptible. Har- yeah, corruptible and harsher. And I think that serves the movie really well. But it's again, this is really just a commentary of the book to the movie, right? Serves the movie well. In the end, you know, we get his remorse. We have moments like like when he's fighting with the hobbits, like clearly he's being a nice guy and he's like, you know, palling around with them. Um, and we see that he has there. I mean, he defends Marion Pippin. So we, we know through his actions and things that he is a good man. But I think you're right. I think I think if he if he was portrayed as just as good a guy as Aragorn from the beginning and he was corrupted, it would it would get that mes- the message of the rings potential for corruption across better. And it would make him, it would make his death feel more. Yeah. In some ways you're like, oh, well, the kind of baddish dude in the party, like, you know, he died. I, yeah, I think that in some ways it, it, it takes a little away from his character, from who he's supposed to be in the books. I mean, and we, I, they make so, him feel expendable. So you say that in the, um, uh, the two towers and the return team, we get some flashbacks and uh, right. That, that paint him a little more. Two towers has the flashbacks return the King l- I, less. So, yeah. So, I know for a fact those flashbacks are extended cuts. So those are not in the theatrical. So gotcha. original viewers never got any indication that Bormer was like other a than, better-ish guy. Other than the words of his brother and father who are biased to paint him as better. Right. And and of course, you know, his father saying like my son is a great man and all this is, does it means uh, nothing coming he, from that guy. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, I mean, uh, but I asked that just because, I mean, you like haven't seen the, you, you didn't read the book, so you don't necessarily have that that reference. But uh, I wanted to see if that something that seems true to you, if it, like it, if it, knowing that in the books, he he's made out to be a bit more noble and he certainly does have it his make, moments, but it, it makes his character knowing that that's who he's supposed to be. It makes him make more sense within the context mm-hmm. of Faramir and his father. Yeah. What I think they do, though, is I think they're they're trying to in the movie show something that's not easily perceptible with that. Like in the book, they they make it somewhat known that he's under great pressure, though. Right. That, yeah. Like the fate of Gondor is resting in his hands and that yeah, that he's, you know, like, hey, this weapon that can save your people is here. And so that's. You get that in the books, but like I think there is also they they do get a of a flashback. In, one of the flashbacks in the two towers has Denthor saying like, "Go there and like bring back this weapon or something like whatever it is. Like you need to bring it back and come save us." Like yeah. he puts a lot of pressure on him so that you get that because of the two towers. But, the two tower, I because I think at first it was going to be Faramir that goes, but Faramir goes instead. Uh no, it's uh, he. His father was like, "Send Boromir," like because he's. Like we we need this to be done, and he doesn't trust Faramir to get it done. But but uh, there was the implication that Faramir could have gone, mm-hmm. but he made Boromir go instead, mm-hmm. which sort of adds a tragedy in that light. Yeah. Um. But yeah, just something I I always found interesting I, that with the books in mind makes me I understand almost why they did it with the movies, but I sometimes don't necessarily like it because I think everybody assumes that Boromir was not that great of a guy, but it like he should have gotten a little more credit. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, other than that, I, I don't know. There, yeah, I think we've gone through a lot of uh, the most interesting things I can think about. I mean, is there anything else you might want to speak on for this movie? It, it, I think, I think I'm going to be able to talk more about the other two movies. This one very much does suffer from it being a sort of setup. 
not to say that this is a not good movie. It is a good movie, but having seen the other two movies, it is the weakest of the three. Yeah, which to say, though, there's some things in here that are almost more uh, that are more memorable in some ways, because I think this is this. This is the most quotable movie. Yeah. This has the most quotable lines. Yeah, but it's 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 got the most quotable lines, but it's, it's certainly got a lot of like singular moments that are like just kind of a, a big deal. Right. Um, at least in my my feeling. Right. I was like, like, what's your favorite scene from this movie? I mean, you said it was probably the battle in the in a the mines, right? I, I say that that's one of the coolest battles just because of how it gets set up. But, um, I mean, hmm, favorite scene. It's, hmm, it's difficult to say. I mean, I, I love Gandalf. You shall not pass, right? Just a huge big yeah. Balrog facing. You down know what? That's Gandalf. actually a good answer. Yeah. It's, I mean, for that's, it's just like a moment where he's facing down this huge creature and then bam, and then you just have like him falling, and it's such a like again for you because you didn't you know see it fresh or you knew Gandalf comes back. I, I saw it out of context as a kid. I yeah yeah, but it's it's a character you've been following since literally the beginning of the movie, and you think like, well, clearly he's got to be around, right? Like, and as a kid, at least I remember being told that Gandalf died, and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, as a kid, I mean, it's it's hard to watch movies as a kid. And like when somebody dies, you're like, whoa, you know, like I, I would say even uh, back in the, you know, the early 2000s or whenever uh, the first movie came out, it was it was a lot more rare to see some kind of main protagonist die. I think nowadays, you know, there's movies that are a little more bold and they like they take out main characters and kill people, which is you know more interesting in some ways. But yeah, back then it was like, what? Like Gandalf's dead, he's like the most powerful guy here. Like he's like the wizard. Oh my god, I can't believe he's dead. Yeah. So that one, that one sticks out for me. Um, I mean, but this even just to say, it's it's almost hard to say which one's my favorite. Right? Facing down the Balrog battle in in Moria, the 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 council at uh the council of of the ring where they all come together. Yeah. You have uh you know that battle with the the moment with Boromir there at the end, the moment with Frodo the, uh, there at the end. Right in the beginning, the the speech with with Bilbo, the you know th- that the moment when Bil- uh, Bilbo gives the ring to Gandalf and there and they have that that there the you know Aragorn facing them on Weathertop, uh, the you know her killing the ring race on the river. There's just so many when when the ring falls on the on the Frodo's finger. There's so yeah. many like moments that are like just like. Bam, like this is a big deal. I think Weathertop is probably the most uh impact. Like I I I didn't bring it up earlier as my most impactful scene, but it has to be my most impactful scene because it stuck with me. And mm-hmm. yeah. But maybe not your favorite, but most impactful scene that stuck yeah. with you. And and to say I wouldn't even say necessarily the, the battling on with but the moment when he stabbed. Uh there are just so many scenes, I think, in this movie that are more singularly uh, iconic like things if you took them out you're like these are all big deals and anybody that watched Thor Rings knows they're a big deal you go look at uh, now again love the two towers that's probably my favorite movie and and return of the king most awarded movie ever so clearly is an excellent you know movie wise but as far as lord of the rings goes i would say that they have less moments right if you just had to count them all up uh and you know someone might argue with me and say like no well, what about this when this happens this, this happens when when someone says Lord of the Rings, my mind pictures the fellowship. My mind mm-hmm. pictures the the 
them at the Shire, my mind pictures the meeting at Rivendell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, and I, I think so too. You shall not pass. It, it it goes to those things. And then if I start thinking about it, I start thinking of the two towers. And then if I really start thinking about it, I think about the return of the king. But the most Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings movie is the fellowship. Yeah, I think so. And I think you just experience. Would you agree that you experience a lot more in the fellowship? That's where you're ranging, right? You start in this, in like this, this one place and you're really kind of following this hero's journey a little bit where you start in this, like, you know, this place of safety and comfort. And then you journey outwards into a place of danger and unknowns with the, your guides and everything. I, that, that is one way to put it. Another way that I want to sort of articulate it is the, the, Journey within the two towers and the journey within the return of the king has a sort of upward arc of at the end of the movies, like especially at the end of the return of the king, but to a certain extent, by the end of the two towers, you feel like something's been accomplished. You feel like things are looking up. The Fellowship of the Ring is the only movie that sort of ends on a sort of downward pessimistic note, but still fills you with optimism. And that is something quite unique about it. And you're right. Like this movie has the most like jumping or going back and forth between it's like, whereas the two towers has different stuff going on throughout it. It all feels like within the same movie and the return of the King, everything sort of feels like within the same movie. And then you get the ending, which maybe is the least similar to the rest of the movie before it. But I think the ending works. We'll get to that. The Fellowship has like multiple movies in it. <laughs> yeah, it certainly has. It has like you're, you're watching like multiple different. You're moving through these different unique scenes almost. It feels like you're really like, I mean, you're going from these different places. You're really going on a journey. You know, you start in, in uh, uh, the Shire and then you're moving to the, like the Bree or this surrounding area there. And then you're in Rivendell and then you're, you know, going to Moria and then in Moria. And then you're moving from Moria to Lothlorien. And then you're moving from Lothlorien to this you know, the, the, you know, wherever that is like that next place. If you think um, about these movies as just experiencing the world for the first time through the lenses of these hobbits in a way, that's, this is the most stark change from where they began. Mm -hmm. Like the other movies, stuff happens to them that changes them in stark ways, but it all begins here. Yeah. And there's something to be said about that. Yep. This is a great movie. I'm so glad you feel that way. Yeah. I would agree as well. That's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, I would say it's interesting that you have a, not only a fresh perspective, right? But you're also, because you got to watch it as an adult, maybe you were able to apply more, like watching it for a movie and apply more adult, uh, you know, understanding to it. Whereas as a kid, I, I almost feel like whenever I watch it still, I, I still can't even like have a, a very critical view of it because I'm just watching this nostalgic this is, thing again. This is what I told um, uh, someone when I mentioned that I watched this movie and they were like, oh, how do you, how, how is it? And my response to them was, this movie is so much more emotional. These movies in general are so much more emotionally mature than, than they have really any right being. They are like, there are like nuanced emotions in these characters. Like this is like such real depth that I don't understand 
how people watch this as a kid and get I, I get the action, enjoying the action and the the story is good, but like there's like layers to these movies that I think I would not have really had any level of appreciation for at any other earlier part of my life, which is why I say that, brother, I did not watch these movies late. I watched them precisely when I meant to. I love that. Yeah. And I think I th- uh, that's so well said. I almost just want to end it right there. But I I, <laughs> I have to say, I, th- I think that's an excellent point. Um, and one thing I will note is that as a child, I, you know, you're right. There is so much nuance that you can understand, uh, you know, in a meta cognitive way where you can, un, you can, you know, see and feel all these different things because now we understand ourselves and our own emotions better. But as a kid, it still comes across. It's, that's, that's how good this movie is, is that yeah. when I'm watching this movie as a kid, I remember feeling, you know, the fear the the excitement the you know the same like the same this movie brings you up and down through it and as a kid you i still got it i still got I, all of it. I, yeah i felt the fear as a kid uh and the other things the other things i i to be honest when i walked into that movie it wasn't a movie that i wanted to see to begin with so i didn't go into it with an open mind as a kid mm-hmm. so that sort of it wasn't going to work out well to begin with. So I can see the movie being so good that even a child could intuit, have an intuitive response to it. Mm-hmm. So, but I think for me, I'm happy to have watched it now. Yeah. And that's a damn good movie. Yeah, it is. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, honestly, I don't know that there's too much more we can say on this movie, unless you got something else. I, I think we should save it for what's got coming up next. Yeah. So we got two more of these coming folks. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to it. I am as well. Well, until then, this has been Robert and Ryan. Have a good one, folks. Fly you fools. <laughs>